Amen. Fantastic. Anybody else excited to be in the house this morning? All right, I'm fired up. I'm going to go fast and furious. And as you guys know, our theme this year, 2017, is simply this radically different, radically better. In fact, say that with me. Radically different, radically better. We're believing this year that if we can do some things that are radically different, our lives will be radically better. Most of us experience life by default, not by design. And God wants us to move from a life that is reactive and random to a life that is proactive and intentional. Hmm? I heard somebody say the best way to predict the future is to create it. If you've ever built a house, you didn't walk into your house after it was completed and you got the keys wondering why the master bedroom was where it was. You didn't walk into that room wondering why the master bathroom was where it was. You didn't wonder why that house had a certain number of square feet, why the garage was the way it was, why the backsplash was the way it was. Because you built that house with intention and design. Your life. And my life is no different. But we have a choice to live a life that is reactive where we are responding to what life throws at us or to live a life that is intentional and by design. It requires vision. It requires vision. And the radically better life that God has planned for each of us requires requires that we do some things that are radically different. Not just different. I want you to hear this now. Not just different. It might require radical changes and adjustments in order to experience something that God says is radically better than you have experienced up until this point. So at the beginning of the year, we did a series of messages. Uh, what was the series called? Radical Radical faith, thank you. And in February, we continued with radical love, you before me. And I promised you on Vision Sunday that what I shared with you was sort of the precursor, the preamble, the introduction to what I would be sharing in the month of April. Because I really felt as the pastor of City Church, it was time for us to revisit the vision of City Church and to be reminded of why on earth we're even here. Andy Stanley, the pastor of North Community Church in Atlanta, I think said it best. He said it this way. He said, vision leaks. And if you're not constantly reminding yourself of the vision, if you're not constantly reminding yourself of the plan, if you're not constantly reminding yourself of the purpose and the intent, you are likely to forget it and lose sight of it. In fact, Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. One translation says the people run amok. The people begin to live haphazardly. And can I say this? Every sin problem, can I suggest this to you? Every sin problem is a vision problem. Because sin simply means to miss the mark, to miss the mark. And if I'm not recalibrating my life to the mark that God has set for me, the mark that God has ordained for me, I am 
uh, it is possible and highly likely that I will consistently readjust the target and celebrate that I missed the target that I readjusted to accommodate my preferences instead of the target and the standard that God created for me. You've heard me say it before. In my backyard with Levi, I have just an adjustable basketball goal. I dunk on that thing all the time. And I impress Levi and beat my chest. Most of us go through life. And we have adjusted the standard from, an eight, from a 10-foot goal to an 8-foot goal, and we celebrate that we're meeting the standard every time for a lowered goal. It's a vision problem. It is a vision problem. And so over the next several weeks, we will revisit the purpose for which this church was birthed and the purpose for which you are on this journey with us. And that purpose transcends you and me. That purpose is so much bigger than you and me. And I'm going to reiterate this and hammer this thing home because usually when we make decisions, the first decision we make is, how does this benefit me? When sometimes God invites us into partnership with him, not because of how it will primarily benefit us, but how we can use us to help other people. That's counterintuitive to how we live because our first decision is how does this benefit me? Yet God says sometimes the benefit comes when you serve others. So over the next several weeks, we will revisit the vision of City Church. Why on earth we're here? And I pray that it will help you understand the journey that we are on together. And your part in it. Because one is too small a number to accomplish anything great. Great dreams do not happen in a vacuum. We need each other. And so this this series is simply titled Radical Vision. This is us. Anybody else watch that show on NBC? This is us fantastic show. If you haven't seen This Is Us, if you haven't watched that series, I encourage you, go back on demand, binge watch it because it's the simple story of a guy and his wife and their two kids that they had biologically, a boy and and a girl, uh, 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 twins, and then uh, uh, a young boy, a baby that they adopted on the same day that their children were born. I'm sorry, they had triplets and one died. And the fire department, someone left this child, this baby, African-American baby, on the steps of the fire department. And one of the, the firemen uh, took this baby to the hospital. And right next to their two children who survived the birth, they placed this African-American child who this family adopted and they grew up together. There are so many life lessons and so many stories that will just blow your Mind. I'm talking about real life stuff, the whole smorgasbord. And I thought that uh, I would borrow that idea and borrow that theme because I felt like I just needed to share quickly uh, over the next several weeks our unique imprint, our unique blueprint, and what God has called us to do together in this community. So this is us. It's sort of a reintroduction to all of us of the DNA 
of City Church. And not just of City Church, but the DNA of the church, universal. Are you with me? All right. So our anchor text, our anchor text that we have chosen for uh, this series of messages is lifted from Ephesians chapter number one. We will read from the message paraphrase uh, beginning at verse number 20, and it will give context and it will frame the thoughts that I'll be sharing with our church over the next several weeks. Beginning in verse 30, this is Ephesians chapter one from the message paraphrase. It says, all this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven. How many of you realize that the resurrection is not the end of the story? In fact, before I go any further, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 29. Acts chapter 29. Acts chapter 29. Acts chapter 29. Anybody even use Bibles anymore? Hard copy? Acts chapter 29. Acts chapter 29. If you're there, say amen. Yes, Acts chapter 29. Only 28? It's because the book of Acts is still being written. That's how you do that. There is no Acts 29 because the story and the history of the church did not end with the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. These are the acts of the apostles. This is the history of the birth of the church. But the life of the church and the influence of the church and the impact of the church is not restricted or confined to these 28 verses. Jesus rose from the grave, but the story didn't stop there because Jesus commissioned 12 men to go and make disciples of all nations. In fact, the scripture says that after he rose, he appeared to as many as 500 at one time. First Corinthians chapter 15. Interestingly, only 120 of them made it to the upper room. Because vision leaks. Jesus told 12 and he appeared to about 515 that are named references in first Corinthians chapter 15. On the day of Pentecost, when the church is born, only 120 of them made it. But the story continues. It is very fitting and appropriate that we are talking about the church the Sunday following the celebration of Easter because Jesus rose so that he could empower the church. I want you to hear that. What Jesus didn't do, he has given us the responsibility of completing as the church. I want you to hear that now. What Jesus did not do, What Jesus left unfinished, he is commissioning us to finish. It's not about just showing up on Sunday morning and getting pretty and getting dressed up. There is work for us to do. And Resurrection Sunday reminds us of the urgency, the urgency, the urgency that he is inviting us into to complete the work that he has invited us into. So Acts 29 Acts chapter 29 is happening right now in churches around the world where billions of people are gathered. And Jesus is saying, I rose so you could go. We're going to flip this whole idea of what church is upside down. That is not just about us gathering. But after we have gathered, God commands each of us 
to scatter and bring his influence into every place that he sends us. I want you to hear this now. What we're doing this morning is about gathering and being encouraged and being equipped and being empowered so that we can be deployed because the church does not end at 1130 when we say the blessing and we leave. The church, the work of the church and the influence of the church continues everywhere that a Christ follower is deployed. Everywhere the soles of your feet tread, the scripture says you shall possess. And so God is inviting us to occupy all streets. That's why the church is here. And so the scripture says, God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven. He is in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. How many of you realize that our God is the most high God? In fact, his name is El Elyon, that there is none above him, none beside him, none before him, none like him. He is the ultimate authority and he rules over galaxies and governments. There is no name and no power exempt from his rule. That means our God has the preeminence. He has the final word and he has the final say over what happens in galaxies and governments and over every power that can be named. And it says it is not just for the time being. This fact is so forever. It is eternally settled in heaven that the God we serve has the final word. He is in charge of it all and he has the final word on everything. That means our God is sovereign and he answers to no one. He has the final word. Now listen to what it says now, because this is where we want to land and invest most of our time. Listen to this. We said that he is, his name is above every power and none is exempt from his rule. He is sovereign over galaxies and governments, that his rule is eternal But listen to what it says, at the center of all of this, 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 Christ rules the church. I want you to stop for a moment and consider the the vast expanse of this universe, some of which has not yet been touched, tapped, or even discovered. And of all the places that God could have chosen to set up camp, In the center of all of creation and all of the universe, the Bible says Christ rules the church. At the center of everything is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says. It says the church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. I want you all to catch that. That this world is not something that is at the center of what's happening. We think of the economy, we think of the government, yet the Bible says at the center of it all is the church. The thing that holds it all together is not what's happening politically, it's not what's happening militarily, it's not even what's happening economically. At the center of what God is doing in the earth is his church. I don't know if y'all getting that. 
at the center of everything is the church. It's a lot like the hub in the middle of a wheel. Everything that God is doing in the earth revolves around his church. Because the church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body. Listen to this. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. You know what that verse is saying? That when God speaks in the earth, he does it through the church. That when God acts in the earth, he does it through the church. That you and I are an extension of what God desires to do in the world. He is the head of the church. He is the head of the body. But the head can't do very much without a neck and a body to support it. God is saying that you and I are so significant and integral to the plan that he has. That everything he says and does, he does through us. He does it through us individually and he does it through the church collectively. You and I are the body of Christ. That means God can't touch. God can't heal. God can't help apart from his church. That's how significant you are. That's how significant I am. That at the center of it all is his church. What does that mean for our church? On Vision Sunday, I shared with you that God has given us greater clarity about why we're even here. And that God is calling us to be a life-giving church in the heart in the heart of the marketplace, y'all, in the heart of the marketplace. If it's true that the church is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church, it's interesting that God has placed us where we are, right here in the middle of the marketplace, where decisions, billions of dollars worth of decisions are being made all around us every single day. Is it possible that God has placed us here to begin to influence the decision makers who are influencing policy all around us. Not just Toyota North America, not just FedEx, not just Liberty Mutual, but I read recently that Boeing is coming to Legacy Town Center. I also read recently that a, a Capstone Capital has invested several hundred million dollars and they're going to be putting in uh, 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 175 townhomes in Legacy West starting at $500,000 and going over to a million dollars. When I visited with my friend, a pastor friend uh, in, in Washington, D.C., and when I started to tell him about all the things that are happening around us in Legacy Town Center, he said, Ray, it sounds like God is sending the world to your church. And sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. We don't see that everything God is doing around here, that at the center of it all is his church. Is it possible that God placed us here when he did to anticipate the growth that is happening all around us? Because he cares about the people that are coming? Is it possible that the temporary inconvenience of being in a movie theater is so that you and I can be prepared to serve the thousands of people that are coming to be a life-giving church in the heart of the marketplace? 
The answer is absolutely. Absolutely. And in order to walk in that opportunity, you and I have to begin to see beyond just ourselves. Listen to what, this is an article from, from, from Plano Profile magazine. On the cover of this magazine is Femi Carahan, who was the visionary behind not only the shops at Legacy, but this new development across the street, Legacy West. And I'm going to take a few moments just to, to, to share this interview, the content from this interview, so you can understand what is happening all around us and the, the amazing opportunity that God is giving us to be the church, his voice and his hands extended right here in the middle of the universe. That's what our mayor calls this. He calls Legacy Town Center the center of the universe. It says, at the grand opening of Williams-Sonoma Home Store at the shops at Legacy in 2009, Mayor LaRosselier, who was a personal friend, turned to Femi Carahan and joked, how great would it be if you built up the other side? Today, that land is being built up as the future home of Toyota North America, Liberty Mutual, FedEx Office, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Legacy West. It's an American dream come true. Check this out from a Turkish immigrant who came to America with only $100 in his pocket. Everything you'll see around here, everything you see, all these buildings, all this land that is being developed, came out of the heart of a Turkish immigrant who came to America with only $100 in his pocket. Can I speak to some of the dreamers in the house? That dream in your heart it's still possible. Regardless of the limitations that you have. In fact, Femi says his English was so bad that they wouldn't even hire him in a Turkish restaurant. Because he could speak Turkish, but they needed him to speak English, and he couldn't even be a waiter in a Turkish restaurant. What are the things that have limited you? Is it the fact that you don't think you're smart enough, not educated enough, don't have the resources to get it done? He started with $100 in his pocket and couldn't even speak English. And everything around us came out of him. And he didn't allow his limitations to keep him from dreaming. Let me continue. Listen to this. I'm skipping through a bunch of stuff. But it says today, 60,000 people live and work in Legacy Business Park. Y'all hear that number? 60,000. And by the time new additions such as Toyota, Liberty Mutual, J.P. Morgan Chase, and FedEx Office are fully operational, that number will be closer to 100,000. It goes on to say uh, that when he started out, Everybody thought he was crazy. He completed his first development in 1985, an 8,000 square foot neighborhood center, and in 1993 made a name for himself in Dallas with the construction of MacArthur Crossing, which is still there, a large retail development at the southeast corner of LBJ and MacArthur. The project earned him a reputation as a crazy Turk. A lot of people said it wasn't going to work. He faced the same kind of negative response when it came to the development of Legacy Town Center. How many of you realize there will always people who be people who oppose your dream? Don't let that stop you. There were people who actually told him, this thing won't work. And 10 years later, it's all here. 
He said, we started at a time when mixed-use developments were not widely accepted in the U.S. What if God is calling you to do something for which there is no precedent? Isn't that what he told Noah to do? Build an ark and it hadn't even rained? What if the dream in your heart has no precedent? And God is calling you to do something that's never been done before and that makes absolutely no sense to anybody else. The traditional route would be, hey, man, y'all get out of here. Y'all find a building and get in there. And let me tell you this. We rule everything in before we rule anything out. While we are here in this movie theater, we're also looking at facilities that we can move into because we are keenly aware of the wear and tear that are, that's on our setup teams and our teardown teams. But what if God is giving us a unique opportunity to be just that, a church in the heart of the marketplace that's here to serve the 100,000 people that are coming to where we are? Let me read this and I'm done. It says Legacy West is a $400 million development, 38-acre mixed-use extension of Legacy Town Center and will be anchored by Windrose Avenue, affectionately referred to by Femi as R. Rodeo Drive. The 450,000 square feet of retail and restaurant space will soon buzz with the very best stores and dining options Collin County has to offer. I have not chosen a restaurant or signed a lease if I did not believe they would be successful. And there's a long list of fine restaurants that are in here. The article continues. It says, just like Legacy Town Center, Legacy West will have residential and office space. A thousand apartments. A thousand apartments. That's more people. And 330,000 square feet of office space. As well as a 303-room luxury hotel, the Renaissance. Why did I take the time to read all of that? Simply because... God is sending the world to us. And it's, it's, it's prompted me to rethink and begin to re-examine why on earth we're here. Because at the center of everything God is doing in the earth, he has placed the church. And he is speaking through the church. Not just the church collectively, but his church individually. That means you have a part to play and I have a part to play. And it's not just limited to what happens on Sunday morning. Every single day, you and I have a part to be, have a part to play in being God's hands and his voice extended to this community and the people that God is sending. So here we go. This is us. Y'all ready? Here's the blueprint and I'm out of your way. In Acts chapter 2, we find the blueprint for the early church. We said the church was born on the day of Pentecost when 120 believers were gathered in the upper room. And on the day of Pentecost, God poured out his spirit. And on that day, the church was born. In fact, Peter preached a remarkable message and 3,000 were added to the church that day. Wouldn't that be awesome? If through our presence and through our influence, God chose to add a 3,000 people to that church in one service. Would we be equipped to handle them? Sometimes God takes organizations and even churches through the painstaking process of developing structure so that he can prepare us for the harvest. And if 3,000 were added to City Church in one day, would we be ready? What does that mean? If all this growth is happening around us, I believe that God has given us a window of opportunity to prepare 
for the harvest that he's sending so that we can conserve the harvest and not let it go to waste. But what does that look like in real terms? What should the church, that church that is attractive to unchurched and de-churched people, what should that kind of church look like? That's what we're going to talk about here briefly as I close. Number one, let's look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. And it says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorting them, exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Listen to what the, the DNA of the early church looked like. And this is also what I pray the DNA of our church will be. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Let's stop right there, y'all. You know what made that early church successful? They valued the word of God. And if you and I are going to win in life, and if you and I are going to influence this generation and influence this community, our lives must be governed by the word of God. We must become a gospel-shaped church where the word of God is the final say in our lives, not what is popular in culture. It blows my mind that even today, when I have conversations with Christ followers, they struggle to make God's word the final authority in their lives. Yet Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen. And the early church was successful, not just because they had preferences around the word of God, but they submitted and subjected their lives to the authority of the word of God. So if we're going to be the kind of church that God has called us to be, we must be a gospel-shaped community of faith. That means we must allow the word of God to inform our decisions and transform the way that we think. Ravi Zachariah said it this way. He said, the purpose of having an open mind is to one day close it on the truth. And the question then becomes, not for the unchurched or the dechurched, but those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, when will we finally close our minds on the truth and say that, God, your word is the final authority, regardless of my emotions and my feelings, even when it hurts. Irma Bromberg famously said, the truth hurts. The truth will set you free, but it'll take you off before. We must get to the place, City Church, where the word of God becomes the final authority in our lives. That it governs our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And we'll talk about these things some more. And that's why my wife and I here at City Church are sticklers for the word. This is not a reader's digest gospel. We teach and we preach the whole word. In fact, somebody sent me a text one time and said, Pastor, you know, you notice how, how sometimes when you preach a hard message that, that the next Sunday attendance is down? I say, yeah. I say, yeah. That is my responsibility to preach the truth. My responsibility as a pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Jesus spoke hard words. Jesus spoke hard words, and he said to the disciples, and he, and he said, this is what he said. He said, he said uh, Lord, this is a hard saying. Who can follow it? And that day, many of them stopped following Jesus. 
so I can compromise God's word and attract a crowd, or I can speak the truth of God's word, which is what we all need, including myself. How many of you realize that sometimes what you want is not what's best for you? Your children, my children want sugar, but we feed them vegetables because vegetables is what they need. And the Bible says there is coming a time. In fact, we're living in that day when the scripture says people will gather around themselves a great company of teachers who will say what their itching ears want them to hear. Give me more candy. Give me more candy. Give me more candy. And the whole time pastors are giving people stuff that is rotting their teeth instead of building them up. And if you're going to take this journey with us, you're making a commitment to say, you know what? It's going to be hard to hear the truth sometimes but I know the truth will transform my life. And when I say transform, I'm in there with you. I'm in there with you because the truth of God's word before I preach it has already changed me or it is currently challenging me. But I know it's what's good for me. Just because you want it doesn't mean it's good for you. And sometimes the things we don't want are the things that are best for us. And the success of the early church was the fact that they were gospel-shaped. They prioritized the word of God. Number two, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And I think I sent this to you wrong in your notes. What's the next thing you have? Community. Fellowship. That word fellowship is koinonia. It means participation. Here's what it also means. It means close association. Let me tell you the problem with those words, close association. In order to have close association and authentic community, that means I have to be willing for you to get up close. Not be my friend from a distance. That means I got to let you get close enough to me to see my scars. I got to let you get close enough to me to see my shortcomings. I got to let you get close enough to see my failures. And the problem with the church is that we have become an unsafe place where we come to pretend because we don't trust the person in the seat next to us. The early church was successful because they had authentic community where they didn't hide behind their filters on social media, where they created a safe environment where they could be transparent and vulnerable. And you could say, you know what? I'm struggling, man. And you can handle it and not use it as ammunition against me. That's the kind of church that we are creating here at City Church. Not just a church that is shaped by the word of God, but a church where we can have close association and joint participation. And not only that, the fact that all of us together are building the church. And this is what I know. You are less likely to destroy what you help build. And as long as it's Pastor Ray's thing, and as long as it's Wendy's thing, it's so much easier to walk away and to tear it down. But the kind of church that will reach this community that's coming 100,000 plus is a kind of church that is shaped by the gospel. 
and that deeply cares about people. One of our culture statements is, we will love first and always. That means when you come through the door, right, we're not making up things about you. We're going to love you just the way you are. And when you walk out the door, we're still going to love you. Because the scripture says, owe no man anything but the continuing debt to love. It is a debt that you and I will never fully repay. Every single day you wake up, you will always wake up with a new outstanding balance to love. You will never repay that debt. So let's be the kind of church where people are safe when they come. Because God loves us just the way we are. Koinonia, the church was successful because they prioritized God's word and they had koinonia. I'll be talking about these things even further over the next several weeks. Number three, oh my goodness, this is a lost art right here. Christians actually prayed? They didn't come to the pastor to pray for him? Let me tell you something. The word of God and fellowship and prayer is something you cannot outsource. In fact, last summer we did a whole series called DIY, Do It Yourself. Let me tell you something about prayer. Prayer is something that you do yourself. And God is establishing a community of prayer warriors who value, let me, let me listen, listen to this, I want you to hear this, who value intimacy with God. Oh, y'all missed that. Because when we think about prayer, we think about petitioning heaven so God can give us stuff. When I talk about prayer, I'm talking about people who are Christ followers who value intimacy with God. That I'm going to draw near to God in prayer, not because of what is in his hand, but because of what is in his heart. To become so intimately acquainted with God that I'm transformed into his image. Not because of what he's going to give me, but because of who I become in the process. Because prayer, first and foremost, is about intimacy with God. And that was the success of the early church. They prioritized the word of God. They had close associations of transparency and vulnerability with each other. And they prayed. Uh... Uh, yeah, send me that text. Uh, no, no, I have the text here. Uh, I'll just read this. Uh, Jake was reading a book called uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. Ph- phenomenal book. I've heard great things about it. I haven't read about it. But their church in New York, Brooklyn Tabernacle, some of you have heard the worship out of Brooklyn Tabernacle, was all birthed in prayer. He said several years ago, there was uh, a minister who came from Australia, and he says, or, or perhaps it was New Zealand, and he happened to be present that morning, uh, which was a rare occurrence. It says, I introduced him and invited him to say a few words. He walked to the front and made just one comment. Listen to this. This minister is visiting from Australia or New Zealand. Pastor invites him, and this is what he says. He says, I heard what your pastor said, but here's something to think about. You can tell how popular a church is by who comes on Sunday morning. That's a popularity test. Who's coming to that church on Sunday morning? He says you can tell how popular the pastor or evangelist is by who comes on Sunday night. Remember when we did Sunday night services? He says, but you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to the prayer meeting. 
the early church was transformed because Jesus was a priority and the people prayed. Uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me say these two things and I'll let y'all go, all right? I promise I'm going to let y'all go after I say these two things. When I say this is us, what is our DNA? What is our blueprint? It is the word of God. It is prayer. It is authentic community. In fact, Jane Howard said it this way. Call it a clan. Call it a network. Call it a tribe. Call it a family. Whatever you call it. Whoever you are, we all need one. We all need a tribe. We all need to belong to something. And can I say this? Instead of being the body of Christ, we have become the body parts of Christ. Because in order to be the body of Christ, you have to be connected. And I hear people all the time, no, 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 I don't go to church anymore. I just follow Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. And you have become a body part, not a part of the body. When people die, they put their organs, if they're organ donors, they put it on ice. But that kidney, that heart is useless in that box of ice. It has to be connected to a body. Serving someone and serving something in order to fulfill its purpose. For those of us who choose to be disconnected from community, you have become like that heart. You have become like that kidney that has so much potential but cannot fulfill its potential because it's disconnected from the body. And Ephesians 4 says that the whole body is fit and joined together by that which every joint supplies. Not only that, not only are you not supplying something to somebody, guess what? There's no way anybody can supply anything to you because you're not connected. And this is, this is how most of us go through life. <laughs> this, is how, this is what we made church. <laughs> I brought the rock, y'all. I brought my rock with me. And, and this is actually Levi's basketball. And, and this is what we've done, Terrell. We've made church life a pickup game. All you got to do to get in the game is call next. And when you call next, it doesn't matter who's there. You're going to pick four other people to play with you, right, Tony? No commitment to nothing. It's just recreational. I show up when I want to. I play with whoever I want to play with. And guess what? Even if we lose the game and I hang out long enough, I'm going to get on another team. And I'm going to play. I don't even know the people I'm playing with. But I'll play basketball because I like to play basketball. And there's nothing required of me. There's no commitment. And we've made the church, the very thing that God says is at the center of it all, a pickup game. When Nia was eight, she did gymnastics and she did it recreationally because we couldn't make the commitment uh, with the time. Guess what? Nia learned how to tumble and do her front hand turn, spin, all the different things. And, and, but guess what? She never competed. She had the skills, but never competed. Wasn't part of a team. And there are people in pews every single day for whatever reason, who choose to settle into a recreational life with God. When God says, I have need of you. Because the commitment to play on a team is totally different. Right? You have a singular identity. All of us are going to wear the same jersey. You might like red, but if you're going to play on this team, you're going to wear blue. 
You're going to commit to the, the practice times. You're going to commit to show up for the games. You're going to commit to the code of conduct. And most of us walk away from opportunities to be a part of a team because we are recreational in our mentality because we don't want nobody to tell us what we want to do. I want to come and play this pickup game and leave. And we're building churches that are recreational centers instead of teams. And if that's your mentality, I want you to consider this. As good as you are on the playground, you'll never make it to the NBA. Even though there's a whole bunch of people on the playground, so much better than people who play professional ball. But you got to be committed to a team. And we miss out on what God wants to do through us. Because we're recreational. Nah, I just play pickup ball. Let me just read these to you because I got to let you go. Number four, we value Christ-centered worship. The scripture says, then fear came upon every soul and worship goes beyond just the songs we sing. The early church was effective. Their DNA was that they walked in reverence for God. And that's one of the things that we've lost in the body of Christ is the fear of the Lord. Which the scripture says is the beginning of wisdom. And as Christians, we live just as foul as people who don't serve God. And we wonder why we're not effective. The early church had reverence for God. Reverence when they walked into the house of God. They weren't flippant with their relationship with God. Christ-centered worship. We have to get back to that as Christians. Where we have some iota of reverence for God. Where we don't take the grace of God and abuse it. Paul said it this way. Should I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We've lost our reverence for God. And let me tell you something about that. The truth of the matter is that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. That means if God has called you, he never really changes your mind. But guess what? You can be called of God and grieve the spirit of God and not be anointed. Where you can get up here and preach and get up here and sing and not have one ounce of the anointing of God because of how you live Monday through Saturday. And no yokes are being broken. Nobody's being delivered because everybody got a call, but nobody's anointed. The scripture says Samson shook himself one more time and he didn't even realize that the spirit of God had departed from him. Can you, I want you to hear this now. He was doing what he always did and didn't even realize that the spirit of God had lifted from him. Didn't even realize that he was just going through the motions and he was not anointed. The fear of God. Christ-centered worship and reverence for God. We have to restore that to the body of Christ. And that's why this church was effective. Because they were anointed. Bryce sang the song Chain Breaker. That's what the anointing is. The burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. And the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Any decision that I make 
where I don't take into account the fear of the Lord is an unwise decision. All wise decisions begin. I want you to hear this. Every wise decision that you and I will ever make begins with reverence for God. If you take reverence out, there's a chance that the decision you are making is unwise and it will backfire. Number five, we value spirit-led and spirit-filled living. The church has to once again become naturally supernatural. The church, once again, has to become naturally supernatural. You know what that means? Anyway, we won't get into that. But the scripture says, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Naturally supernatural. Where we live and walk in the anointing of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about this some more, what that means. What that means. What that means. Because at City Church, we are unapologetically charismatic in our theology. There are some people who are cessationists who say the gifts of the Spirit expired when the last apostle died. And there are some of us who are continuationists who believe that the gifts of the Spirit belong to the church today. And there's plenty of evidence in the Scriptures to affirm that. And that's the kind of church that we are. Because if it was good enough for Jesus to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, and if it was Jesus told his apostles not to begin preaching until they received power from on high, how many of you realize that you and I need it today? Yes. Unapologetically charismatic in our theology. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Number six, we value generosity. Scripture says in verses 44 and 45, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold, look at that, sold their possessions and goods, had garage sales, and divided them among all as anyone had need. We value generosity here at City Church. We will always live with an open hand, not a clenched fist. And we'll talk about that some more, what it looks like to live with a generous disposition. Proverbs says, one man withholds more than is right and comes to poverty. And another gives generously and he is enriched. We're going to talk about what it looks like to live with a generous disposition, an open hand, not a clenched fist, because if God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. God bless me. God bless me. And you hold it on to what you got. And God says, what I want to pour out is too much for you to contain, but you got to open your hand, bruh. He said, well, God bless me. Let go of what's in your hand. God bless me. And we go through life with a clenched fist and we wonder why all we have is what we have. Because in order to receive what God has, you have to make room. That's how the early church lived, with a generous disposition. So proud of this church that because of your generosity, we just, you know, we sponsored 10 kids, you know, boys and girls club for a year who couldn't get to school. In July, when our missionary from Thailand comes, we'll be building their playground. We'll be donating resources to build a playground for young boys and girls rescued from human trafficking because of your generosity. We're not a big church. We're not a mega church. But God has sustained us because we have chosen as a church to live with an open hand, not a clenched fist. You guys don't know this, but just the other day there was a missionary from Liberia who was going back. And I had a bass guitar in my house. And I said, you know what? I'm going to sow that bass guitar, but because I was sending the bass guitar, I had to go buy 
guitar strings. And while I'm in the music store, the Lord said, buy this, buy that, buy this, buy that, buy this. Drumsticks and cables and guitar straps and guitar strings. Because I still remember growing up in Africa when, when we needed guitar strings and we would only get them when the missionaries came to America and came back. And even though I just went to get guitar strings for the bass guitar that I was giving away, the Lord said, no, bless them. And when I presented it to them, he was blown away. In fact, Lisa gave me two Kindle fires for the pastor and his wife. Live with a generous disposition because you cannot outgive God. And generosity is not measured by how much you give, but what is left over after you've given. That's the power of the widow's might. It wasn't how much she gave. All she had was two pennies. But her generosity was measured by how much was left over after she gave, which was nothing. The scripture says Jesus stood in the temple watching how men gave. Read the text, how they gave. And the Pharisees would come in with their big bags of money and throw them down and ho, 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 ho. But Jesus said that woman gave more than they did. Not because of the amount, but because of the sacrifice. And as a church, we will continue to live with an open hand and not a clenched fist. And let me tell you this, when we walk into our building, it's going to be a notable miracle that God's going to do for us. Notable, notable miracle because of the seed that we've sown. Number seven, and this is the final thing, culturally relevant evangelism. The scripture says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Every day, people are being saved. Every day, people are being saved. And this is the DNA, the blueprint of our church. Simple conversations, simple invitations. And we see our friend Erica, and I see you leaning up on your, is that your boo thing? Ooh, Lord. I embarrassed you. Erica's been in the area four years, went to buy a mattress. And like my wife said, buying a mattress these days is like buying a submarine. Right? Cost you a little something. But uh, Erica was so, I mean, excellent. I mean, so good at what she did. I mean, so knowledgeable on every mattress and had a pleasant disposition. And somehow the conversation came up, and, and, and I'm going to tell all your business, okay, just a little bit. And, 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 and not all, but just a little bit. And, and somehow the conversation just came up, and it's like, man, it would be great if you were like a manager or supervisor. He said, no, 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 this is not what I want to do. Pump the brakes right there. You're as good as what you're doing, and it's not what you want to do? You're as nice as you are helping us? You're as knowledgeable as you are doing what you do, and it's something you don't even want to do? Uh, for most of us, you know immediately when it's something somebody doesn't want to do. By their expression, by their face, by their disposition, by how rude they are. They let you walk around the store. They don't even help you. And I'm blown away. I'm like, you should be at corporate. I said, no, this isn't what I want to do. Ain't even what I want to do. And she's still giving her very best. Doing something that, not, that wasn't even on the radar of what she wants to do professionally. Can we even be Christians like that? Where in the workplace, you may not like your boss, you may not like your job, but you do your well with your job with such exception that nobody can tell. And so we just invited Erica. She said, I'll be at church. Been in the area four years, been looking for a church. 
Simple invitation. Came to the first service, sat in the front row with my wife. And when I gave the invitation, she rededicated her life to Christ. And she's been coming ever since. That's what culturally relevant evangelism looks like. Where you're wise, not weird. The scripture says, he who wins souls is wise. That's what it's going to take for us to transform this community. It's going to take culturally relevant evangelism. And I'm excited because Chuck and I have been talking about starting our, our business networking group here at City Church. If God places us in the heart of all the corporations that are coming, maybe there's a different way we need to think about what the church looks like. Maybe the thing that will help us reach this community, 100,000 who will be living, working, and playing here, is not necessarily what we do on Sunday morning. What if it's the way we engage the marketplace Monday through Friday? Because many of you work in those buildings. So God's given us wisdom and clarity about what we'll do next, but this is us. This is who he's called us to be, and this is how he's called us to do it. Because at the center of it all is the church through which Jesus speaks and acts. That means anything he would want to do in the shops of legacy, he will do through his church. We'll be unpacking this over the next several weeks. Let's pray. Father, we pray you will seal your word in our hearts.